Well, church, we are continuing our, um, our time in our series called Jesus for Everyone, in which we are uh, doing a, a pretty big overview of uh, themes that are happening in the books of Luke and Acts, both of those books written by a man named Luke. Um, he's one of the, the followers of Jesus and wrote an account to us so that we might be made assured of the things that we hear about Jesus. Uh, one of the things that we've mentioned quite a bit in, in the series is that uh, Luke tells us theology through story. He, he teaches us what it means to be followers of Christ, and he does so by weaving stories together. He crafts them together. Like We're in the, the study in the book of Luke and Acts, but I want to start this morning from a word that I've already uh, quoted, and it comes from the opening of the book of John. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. I start here because I believe what John writes so beautifully captures what Luke is going to tell us, but through stories. Now let's go into Luke chapter 4. I'm looking at verses 31 through 44. So that is, then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. There, too, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. Once, when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out, shouting, Go away! Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Why have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. The news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law, very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked that fever, and it left her. And she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, you are the Son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Father, thank you for your, your word. Thank you for this time that we get to explore your word written to us. Lord, the hope of the morning is that we might know you more. Through the stories that Luke writes, the community of believers, would we have assurance that you are overcoming the darkness? So we pray that in your name. Amen. I want to take you contextually um, to what's happening here. You'll see a slide come up that says Luke chapter 4 on the top of it. And here's what's happening in the overview of, of this entire chapter. It starts off with Jesus in the wilderness, a very common, uh, well-known story of Jesus fasting for 40 days as in the, in the wilderness. And at the end of those 40 days, he's uh, tempted by Satan. 
the, the closing temptation is, is that the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you were the son of God, jump off. Right after this, Jesus heads back into Nazareth. We're told he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's sitting in a synagogue, a local place of wor worship um, amongst the town that he grew up in. He stands up, opens up a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and one of the lines within that scroll, he reads out loud, or he reads a section, and one of the lines is here, is he sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Then he lets the crowds know that part of the captives that will be released are people that are their enemies. And at this point, they're furious with Jesus, and so they jump up, they mobbed him, forced him to the edge of the hill which the town was built, and they attempted to push him over the cliff. And really, when you see these two stories paired together, you discover that Luke is intentionally showing us that at these cliff moments, that Jesus is facing opposition. He's facing opposition, and, and he's overcoming the darkness. And right after these two stories, then we're told that he heads into a, a, a neighboring village called Capernaum. And there, he heals people. He, he sets people free, people that were possessed by demonic spirits and people that were filled with sickness. And when we read all of these stories together as a unified story, we'll notice that Luke is weaving something here together for us to capture. There's ongoing work by Jesus of overcoming darkness. This is our hope. A light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. Jesus is coming to save. He's coming to set people free. He, he, he is coming to release the captives. And this is crucial to our understanding of what the gospel of the kingdom is about the good news that Jesus is preaching is this. We are a people that are in need of a rescue. And he's the one that we've been longing for. He has come to set people free. When you look at the way that Luke writes, what you'll notice is that Luke opens with an announcement. It's the opening of of the, the announcement of who Jesus is. You'll go to the next slide and you'll see that the story all starts with this way. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today. Something that we often reflect on. Every single Christmas we reflect on these words. But this is how Luke, this is the opening bracket of Luke's story. In the closing bracket, the very last words of the Apostle Paul that close out the book of Acts are this. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. And the closing bracket to Luke's narratives are this, salvation, a savior. See, the words of Bonnie Tyler are, are this, I need a hero. I need a hero, and I'm going to hold on to the end of the night. And this is the big story that Luke is telling us. We need a hero. We are a people that are in need of rescue. And the light is shining in the darkness. 
Luke frames the whole story in the language of salvation. A Savior has come for all people. Let's go back to the Apostle John. This is what he says. He's quoting, the Apostle Paul quotes Jesus, and he says, the thief has come to only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, the devil is for oppression, for captivity, for subjugation. He's for strife and broken relationships, for ill health, for lies and deception. And Jesus is for setting people free. He is for healing and for wholeness. He is for us knowing a good and eternal life. Jesus has come to set the captive free. And Luke cannot emphasize it enough. Jesus has come to set you free. That you would live in wholeness that you would live in abundance, and that he would deal with anything that keeps you from living in that freedom. I haven't watched the movie in years, and it's one of those movies that I'm somewhat scared of to go back and watch because I'm afraid that it will not stand up to the test of time. Do you guys know those kinds of movies that you think are absolutely incredible, and then you go back and watch it and think, what was I thinking? That wasn't good at all. But the movie that I'm thinking of is The Three Amigos. Still good? Still good. Good to know. But there are the characters portrayed by Steve Martin, Martin Chase, and uh, Martin Short and Chevy Chase said it this way. Wherever there is injustice, you will find us. Wherever there is suffering, we'll be there. Wherever liberty is threatened, you will find Come on, the three amigos. <laughs> You'll find the three amigos. And this is the language that Luke is writing to us with. That where there is injustice, where there is suffering, where liberty is threatened, that's where Jesus seeks to work. He is a savior for all people. And I, I think that sometimes what happens is when we hear the words, Jesus saves it is good and right for us to hear that Jesus saves us from the power of sin and death. But I love what Justo Gonzalez is putting down in his commentary on reflecting on the book of Luke. He says that while we proclaim the message of salvation in the sense of eternal life, we also have to proclaim the same message in the sense of liberation from every power of evil. That the Luke that the story that Luke tells about salvation is that Jesus is overcoming every form of evil that exists in the world around us. Salvation, yes, is that God is saving us from the power of sin and death. But the ramifications of it in every space of our lives, in every corner of the world around us, Jesus seeks to save people from the foreign occupation of evil in this world. Jesus sets us free. And I believe that that's such, that's so part of the reason why Luke, for Luke, 
salvation, when he talks about salvation, he so often beautifully weaves healing together with salvation. You know, even though that when you look at the Greek for words like soteria or sozo, these words that, talk, that get translated saving or saved or salvation, they can also be viewed from the words healing. Because salvation is about setting captives free. That whatever might have an oppressive reign over our lives, we have a Savior. We have one that longs to set us free. Luke tells us of Jesus reading from the prophet Isaiah about setting captives free, then immediately after that, Luke follows it up by telling stories of a man freed from a demonic spirit and Peter's mother-in-law being healed from an intense fever. He's saying this is the application of that point. The captives set free, let me tell you a story about that. It's about a possessed man freed from demonic oppression. And it's about a beloved mother-in-law freed from the fever that has been just wrecking her life. Deliverance and healing are a part of this saving act of setting captives free. Here's the point. And I came across this from a biblical commentary that said it this way. God is concerned with all aspects of human life and relationships. And so... Salvation may involve the putting right of any aspect that is not as it should be. Whatever is broken, wherever there is captivity, wherever injustice exists, Jesus desires to set people free. And I believe that the story that the gospel writers and the writers of Scripture are trying to get us to understand that all healing and all deliverance belongs to the name of Jesus. And so that's why later on in, in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, when, when Peter and John stand before a crowd and they say there is salvation under no other name than the name of Jesus, that would the actually, you can actually translate that, that there's healing under no other name but the name of Jesus. And what they're getting us to understand is that all healing, all healing belongs to Jesus. This is what he seeks to do in the world around us. He has come to set people free, to lead us into lives of health and to wholeness. I think about, I, I want to use the word literally every night. We, we take Tiago, our youngest, to, to bed. We read together, we, we pray together, he goes to sleep. And then I go back out of the room, I hang out with Larissa, and then when it's time for us to, to go to bed for the night, I always make sure to swing back by Tiago's room. And the reason that I always do that is because literally every night he has fallen asleep in the most dangerous position. If we're friends on Instagram or Facebook, I'm just actually thinking about it right now, I'm going to post. I have saved countless pictures 
of Tiago sleeping in the most awkward and dangerous of places with massive stuffed animals over his head. Like, he's, like, one leg is on the bed and he's on the floor. I mean, it's, he's fallen asleep completely underneath the bed. I just, you just walk into the room every single night. It is a night of discovering that Tiago is in this weird, messed up position. And you look at that, and we think about it, man, if I were to fall asleep like that and wake up the next morning, I would be messed up. My neck would be tweaked, my back would be hurting, and so every single night, it's about repositioning Tiago. Every single night. It's about picking him up, setting him right, and tucking him in again. And I just been reflecting on that this morning that that the way that God moves in our lives I think it, and listen when, when we when we reset Tiago it's like there's laughter and there's joy and there's delight and there's love right it's like picking him up and it isn't like this this anger or this frustration is like how dare you fall asleep that way but it's this place of just because of, of our sheer delight in him, we reposition him to make sure that he is tucked in well in the darkness. I just think about that and, and this idea that the way that Luke brackets his stories, all in the language of salvation, is that his constant move in our lives is to set our lives right, is to position us for health, and wholeness is to position us for thriving and joy and comfort and delight it's to position us in a way that says I think that this might be better for you I think that this might lead to more freedom and liberation and joy these two captives being set free are tied to Jesus's words right afterwards he turns to the crowds and he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was, I was sent. Jesus is getting us to understand. The understanding is this. There is a new reality that is being inaugurated into the world. The kingdom of God is at hand. I have, and he's telling us, I've got to go into all of the other towns to make sure that this same message comes across. Salvation has come because the kingdom of God is at hand. Something is breaking in on this world. It's the kingdom of God. And as it breaks in on this world, what you are going to notice is that people are going to be set free. Is that injustice and oppression and captivity are going to be dealt with. That is going to be a sign that the kingdom of God is at hand. Let us use the imagery of my beloved nature documentaries. And you'll also see this same thing happening when you read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That when winter is breaking and spring is coming in, you will see that spring doesn't just happen in one swoop, just swish, I can't talk right now, one swift motion. But you will see pockets in the snow of winter, I mean of spring breaking through. 
you, you will see pockets in which the land is thawing out. And the imagery there is that this is the direction that all of the land is going into. And so as followers of Christ, when we see acts of healing or freedom happen in the world around us, even though it might not happen in our own pocket of land, we rejoice and we celebrate. Because in that moment, what we are reminded of is that the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is the direction that all things are going to go in. This is where everything is headed. There will be a day when winter is completely gone and it will be fully spring. And the tension of that is that sometimes even those spaces that have been thawed out, the next morning there will be frost over that same space of land again. But that is not to discourage us that somehow winter is somehow is turning the course and going to win out on this movement. We just know that there's ebbs and flows to spring breaking in. But it is a constant reminder to us, again, this is the direction that all things are going into. Freedom is breaking in. A life no longer under subjection, under subjugation. But this freedom, this move of Jesus to release people from captivity just doesn't stop at the breaking of chains. It isn't just merely about setting captives free, but it is about asking the question, what are they set free into? We might have missed something on our initial reading of this passage in Luke. I'll, we'll bring the slide up here, and you'll see how the, the story played out when we read it. It starts with Jesus went to Capernaum, and he taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. Once, when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out. And he heals that man. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. For you fellow Bible nerds, you're probably sensing the tension that we might have initially missed when we first read through this story. And the tension at hand is that Luke is letting us know that it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath day when all this liberation and freedom is taking place. Well, here's how it goes even further than that, remembering that it's the Sabbath. You go to the next slide. And she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. Luke is doing something really intentional here in the telling of this story by letting us know that Peter's mother-in-law prepared a meal immediately after she was delivered. And by the way, it's not just because Luke loves food. He does, by the way. And this is one of the reasons that he's my guy. Like you, read through, you read through Luke and Acts and you will constantly find stories of food. Even so, the, the Bible commentators let us know that this is one actually of the themes of the book of Luke, is food. <laughs> he loves stories and he loves food. And for that reason, I absolutely love Luke. 
because I can jive with those two things. But it isn't just about his love for food. What we recognized and what we might be zooming in on is that word prepared. On the Sabbath, she got up and she prepared a meal. That would be a very tense moment. Because on the Shabbat, on the Sabbath, you do not prepare food. What is Luke doing here? He's letting us know that a new kind of freedom has broken in in the world. And, and listen, it always seems to go back to creation when you read the Bible. Quite a few weeks ago, we, we reflected on the fact that when you read through the creation narrative is that what you find is that on a lot of the days that the sun sets and then there's a new day. But when you read about the, the Sabbath day, the day of rest, intentionally there, there is not a sunset. And what it lets us know is that for the rest of our living, it is meant to be done from that place of Sabbath. The, the, the initial design of God is that the Sabbath would be ongoing, that all of our doing, that all, everything that we do, everything that we perform would flow out of this positioning of rest. And what Luke does here is that he recaptures that for us. He sets, Jesus sets people free. And now they can live with a new kind of rule over their lives. And it's the rest of God. It's the shalom. It's the peace of God that reigns over them. And it's like a divine swap has taken place here in Peter's mother-in-law's life. That what Jesus does is in this act of salvation, not only does he save her, from that illness and that fever, but what he does is now he places within her his Sabbath rest. And it's from there she now lives. Now she embodies the Sabbath. Now she embodies rest. Now she embodies peace. She embodies deliverance. She embodies freedom. And this is the work of salvation that God longs to do in all of our lives. That not only would he be freeing us from something, but he would be instilling something into us. He seeks to set us free and now live in a new way. Every Sabbath, then, in our own lives, we get a taste and a reminder of what Jesus someday will fully bring here on earth, a day where all will be made whole. And Sabbath, again, is a reminder to us. It's all about a move of freedom and liberation. And when you study Sabbath in Scripture, what you see is there's Sabbath. Once every seven days, you're meant to rest, to be still, and to know the goodness of God's presence with you. And this is how I long for you to live in every space of your life. And then every seven years, there's supposed, to be, there's supposed to be a Sabbath year where you let the entire land be at rest, where you don't have to toil and work for your food, but God will miraculously provide for you. This is the direction that Sabbath is flowing in. And then right after that, what you notice is that after every seven sets of Sabbath years, 
at the end of that, at the end of the 49th year, then there is to be a year of jubilee, a year of freedom, where all slaves are set free in the land, and all land is restored back to the original owner. The direction and flow of Sabbath is salvation. It's liberation and it's freedom. And Luke so beautifully captures that by having a woman set free on the Sabbath and now work from that place of liberation. Luke tells a story of a man and a woman set free and now serving under a new strength. He, he captures this by telling us a story. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in a re really beautiful and dense paragraph. Let me read it to you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It, has, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are set free and now can finally walk in the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And as I invite Nathan to come back on stage, here's the last place that I want to take us. Verse 40 will come up on the screen. It says, as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the, touches, the touch of his hand healed everyone. What we might have missed on, on the first go around on looking at this passage is the highlight of the fact that the sun went down and then people brought their family members to Jesus. And the reason that Luke captures that for us is because the crowd had a sense of hope in Jesus, but they weren't fully there yet. How do I get to that conclusion? They waited for the Sabbath to end before they brought their loved ones to Jesus. You know, the, the way the Jewish community celebrates the Shabbat, the Sabbath, is that sundown on Friday, the Sabbath begins. And it's sun down on Friday, yeah, the Sabbath exists, but begins, and then sundown on Saturday, that's the official end of the Sabbath. So what the crowd does here 
is there, there's hope in Jesus, but they're hesitant. They're hesitant. They're figuring him out. They're not entirely sure here in this moment. It's like they, they don't rebuke him. They don't confront him and say, like, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? But that's obviously a place of tension in their lives. But notice the movement of Jesus anyways. He heals them. Here is a people that don't have Jesus yet figured out. They're a little bit on, on, on the edge, on the precipice of accepting him and seeing him as Savior, Messiah, Deliverer. And he doesn't rebuke them for it. And I hope that what you see in that is patient and gentle Jesus. I hope what you see in that was at another point in Scripture we're told he will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. And so whatever might be kindling there in the hearts of the people, Jesus isn't going to squash it. He's going to nurture it. He's going to help them accept it. Because I think that sometimes in our mind that we might have an idea of Jesus saying like, well, why didn't you come earlier? You, you could have came right at the moment that you saw me deliver Peter's mother-in-law. But you intentionally waited. You're, you're, you're trying to live in two worlds. You're trying to hold on to the old. You're trying not to upset the status quo of the society around you. But you're also trying to get deliverance and healing. And he doesn't, he doesn't rebuke them for that. He heals them anyways. And, and I, I would hope that you just find that Jesus is, is wooing and, and, and calling you where you're at to a place of freedom. And so whatever our doubts are, whatever our struggles are, whatever the things are that we're not entirely sure we want to let go of or deal with, we can bring our hesitations to Jesus. We can bring our hurts and pains and offenses to him. And say, help me to sort this out. Would I see your move of healing anyways in my life? I, I would hope for us this morning is that we would just have a time. And we, we've spent so much time talking about Jesus as Savior, as healer, as deliverer, as Messiah. That we actually just sit and, and seek out Jesus in this moment that whatever avail us, whatever has cap captivity over our hearts, whatever it is that is a place of pain and frustration and disappointment, that we would come before him and ask that he might heal. And I'll let, us, let you know that sometimes it is like the response that he gives to the Apostle Paul 
where he, he lets that thorn in the flesh stay in there, but he also lets us know, my grace is sufficient for you. And in that statement, what he is saying is, is that, that my grace is more powerful than that point of oppression that is staying in your lives. The more powerful force in your life will be my grace. Let's just sit for a moment. Maybe with, with hands open that you might come before Jesus and be able to bring before him whatever point of captivity might exist in your life right now. Also recognizing that Luke highlights for us that it was family members that were brought forward people brought their family members to Jesus. And I think that relationally, or whatever we might be connected with, so it might not be within our own lives, but something that we see in the lives of others around us or in the world around us, that we can bring those things before Jesus as well. Jesus, continue the work of setting your people free. Continue the move of releasing the captives. You who are the way, the truth, and the life, pray that you might lead us according to who you are. We would know your ways. We would know your character. We would know your nature. We would know your goodness, your kindness, your strength, your empowering, your gentleness with us. We would know your truth. That so often, Lord, we live by lies and deception, narratives that run in our minds. There are things that we have believed about ourselves that aren't how you see us recognize the brokenness that might exist in relationships in our lives or places that we just need to see truth prevail. Might need to see you speak a word over those areas of our life. And you are the life. You are good. You are for thriving. You are for abundance. You are for producing fruit. Jesus, would we know that in a new and a fresh way this morning? You, who are our Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer, and our Restorer, we bring all of our ailments before you and ask, Jesus, set your people free. May we know the thawing out of winter and the arrival of spring in our lives. Jesus, we long to see breakthrough. Jesus, we long to see thriving. Jesus, we long to see peace and joy and delight. Your good and abundant life reign over every space of our lives.
thank you for your gentle, constant, gentle invitation to come before you and find healing in you. And so we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.